0: Hey friends, are we live? Everything look good? We're good. Uh Awesome. Welcome to the award-winning, I, I was looking up for my camera. See, we change things around each time. Which which camera do I talk into? I'll just do this one right here. Right um, there. The award-winning 21 Gun Podcast, thanks to Military Veterans in Journalism for the honor of being one of their top 10 vets in journalism for 2020. Um, really, that was awesome. I can't believe they did that, uh, especially the fact that it's me they gave it to. If you want to learn more about Military Veterans in Journalism, head over to MVJ network. So a lot of people are writers or whatever, and they want to get into the journalism world. Look at I'm totally, I'm totally, I don't know if this will be, cause I can't see the camera, Jeremy. So know if this is clear. Look at that. You're I clear. even have this, yeah. where is it? Press. I'm a, pr- I'm a Ooh. member of the press. I'm a member of the, ah. member of the fake ah. news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to learn more about them, head over to MVG, MV, MVJ. Dot network. You can write out the whole network um, and and also we had baby Garcia uh, what maybe a month ago maybe two months month. ago Jeremy uh, she came from that organization so if you ever want to learn about it go listen to that episode very lovely lady and we had fun with that last week's episode was a freaking home run I mean absolutely
1: amazing I
0: it was a good show
1: that was a good blow out of the water type show that was again every every show we always have people cooler and that just
0: well it's just that's easy i mean it's like someone cooler than me is my six-year-old so i gonna say we could always
1: put a trash can here for us i mean pretty
0: low bar to set um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, great episode. Check it out uh, for last week. It's always hard to, when you set the bar that high, it's always, it's always hard to get back in and do something even better. So this will probably be a mediocre show. If you wanna bail, just, I'm kidding. Uh, so welcome no, <laughs> welcome us. to the official podcast of The Revenant Wars, the only show you need to watch or listen to to get the latest news and up-to-date information about your pasty thigh, love and silky's hikes, special events and gardening advice. I bet you didn't know that we were a gardening show too. That sounds, that sounds like a joke. Um, but I had a guy on last year, Don Tobel, another episode, check out, uh, Don Tobel has OD greens and he does like hydroponic, uh, gardening and it's called agrotherapy. And it was, it was fascinating because, uh, I actually, I work on my garden, right? Uh, I'm not afraid to admit. I go out there and I, I raise, I don't know what you, what you call it, raise my flowers, uh, my cucumbers, my tomatoes. And I don't know, Jeremy, do you garden at all? I don't see you as a gardener.
1: So I used to as a kid because I used to love it. But mm-hmm. uh, the way people like to run to the store and buy things in bulk, I think I just yeah. might.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it really, there's a therapeutic uh sends to it like when i come home from work if the kids are going crazy whatever i grab my shears and i just go out and i take care of my plants um so yeah interesting show there look at this is t- today's episode is like one of those old sitcoms where they just go back and talk about all the other shows so yeah don tobo last year um i don't like knitting though i want to bring that up because it's almost in the same area <laughs> It's almost in the same ballpark. If you like to garden and play with flowers, you're also like, I had a friend, not even a friend. uh, It was a dude that told me he liked to, to knit and, uh, I wanted to fight him right there. But if that's your thing, awesome. Go ahead and, and, and knit, I guess. Oh, Demolition,
1: Um, man. I got this, uh, I'm out of jail, hunting a bad guy. I got this uncontrollable urge to knit, knit a sweater. Did that happen on that movie? I don't even remember. Yeah, he knitted knitted a, uh, a rug or something.
0: It's been so long. I just remember the three shells. Something about the three shells when he takes a shit, he needs to. Give it, give it time. Give it time. Uh, Upcoming shows, we have Dr. Mark Gordon coming on soon. Looks like it's going to be February. That's going to be a special episode that'll be on a Sunday, maybe a Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, I don't know, but it'll be available to watch. Important show. I mention it all the time. I know, broken record, but uh, he is at the cutting edge in dealing with traumatic brain injury and PTS. I'm a patient of his, and I can tell you 100% that his protocol is fantastic and way better than all the drugs that um, the conventional approaches uh, put you on. So that'll be out in February, I believe. We also have a Vet TV alum coming on. Um, he's a social media giant, I'll call him. Aaron Cho, no, Aram, Aram Cho. Actually, do you know what? Can you bring up uh, number 12?
1: I sure can. That would be the so last one. So
0: when I was doing some research for Aram, I found this um, uh, documentary that he was in. Which one was number 12? Uh, It was the... Oh, yes, yes. Here we go. Thank you. Yeah. So just click the watch trailer. There you go. Dude, who's the boomer here?
1: You said bring it up. You said play.
0: (laughs) So that's Aram right there. There's no sound. It's all right. Oh, there we go across the country again we're gonna go meet with the attorney general when we get to washington dc so these guys ran across the country pretty cool thing they raised money for families of fallen police officers i think that there is a okay you can take that down i think that there is definitely a um similarity between uh law enforcement and military personnel especially nowadays the suicide rate for law enforcement is going up so we're kind of we're two communities um that are similar in our principles and that are struggling right now and and his is his his area is really strong actually we're both struggling uh, military suicides are up uh 20 percent this year so uh it's always good it's always good to have someone come on i don't think he's a veteran but he's a cop and it'll be a good show Who else do we have coming on? Oh, next week we have, uh, do you know what? I asked his name and I didn't write it down on my notes. Um, Gritty Soldier, G-R-I-T-T-Y soldier.com uh he runs a fitness thing about getting people prepared for the rangers um really cool guy i think uh physical fitness is extremely important um again we talk about mental health all the time and uh, i think he'll have some really good uh, insight as far as that goes tonight's guest is uh sergeant sean Ambrose. I, you know he told me Ambrose. Ambrose. You he's an you author go. speaker entrepreneur veteran ad- advocate he's an mp who served in afghanistan a couple times and he is still active duty um he seems like a cool guy he actually showed up on my feed do you remember uh right before christmas might have been right around thanksgiving the there was a kid an airsoft kid that was kind of doing drills like tactical reloads yeah, and stuff that. And, and the veteran some members of the veteran community started uh harassing this kid it was total bullshit right Assholes. so um he he popped up on my feed somehow and it was like uh you know let's let's help this kid out let's send him patches and stuff like that and actually i i put the i called the gun store that put it all together and i think it might be on my website he's still accepting stuff so if you guys have patches whatever to send this kid but anyways uh sean showed up on my feed with that so um i don't know it'd be fun to he'll be fun to chat with it'd be awesome What's new with the IW's Jeremy? I don't know cuz I'm just not cool enough. No one ever tells me. Uh, I just come <laughs> on and, and speak for the organization but I, so I find out if I just make stuff up that works too. But no, what what's what's the scuttlebutt as you as you sexy sailors say?
1: Oh, man, see, as I, was, I wasn't a sailor, you know, we didn't use, No, I
0: didn't mean ball. you, I mean, you as in general.
1: Um, guys so as of now, we just, uh, we had just had our leadership conference last weekend and that was to basically sit down hash out SOPs and basically all the leadership can get together and get to know each other and hash out the details for upcoming hikes. Uh, sure. Official it, hike, it, but, it
0: pretty much sets off the year, right? Once they're done yep. with that, we're pretty much ready to go and uh, start these hikes
1: that is it's basically the kickoff and on top of that you know if we have any new merchandise coming out new new partnerships um team building things like that just to really you know fine tune everything so as the as the year kicks off for hikes everybody knows what to do so everyone's not going oh, i don't know what to do right, you know right. now. <laughs> uh,
0: i think another important thing is uh, they're switching vendors for the clothing line so if you're going right. on, a Warriors trying to buy some swag, uh, you might have some issues. I'm not sure how long that's going to last. Jeremy, you said it was like a week.
1: It's, it's about a, it's a. Give it about a week. It's usually. I'm not trying to step on some toes, but give it give it a little bit of time, and then once they, once things get settled, things will change over. So if people are trying to message everyone going, why can't I buy anything? You know why? So now you're not going to yell at us and go, it's your fault.
0: That's right. <laughs> um, let's say you want more than one Reverent Warriors t-shirt to wear every single day. So that would be more than seven. Let's say actually seven is too much. You can also head over to grunt style. Our partners at grunt style, pick yourself up an IW shirt where percentage of the proceeds I've already forgotten the percentage of the proceeds, (laughs) a percentage of the proceeds goes uh, back to IW. So, um, yeah, I have one of those shirts. I haven't worn it yet. I'm wearing my, um, warriors one with the donkey and the guy tossing a grenade over his shoulder so that's cool and there's also a women's Man. cut don't forget that um, oh that is the women's cut yep that that's the women's cut or the mike we- cut? That's,
1: that's, <laughs> it's the yes cut it's a very tight i'm cut.
0: kidding michael not
1: really the, the tight cut
0: yeah so that's it really i have for announcements i don't know do you have anything else
1: other than that just keep an eye on the Irrelevant website, Irrelevant Um, as hikes are continuing to go on as we do know during this pandemic things do change so keep an eye out on the site as well as your local Facebook pages and social media groups on any kind of updates and changes and they will be posting that frequently
0: awesome first two hikes are gonna be March 6th and March what's 6 plus 7 13th uh 6th 13th. is who, who's the 6th oh, Baton, uh, Rouge. Baton Rouge Baton Rouge Louisiana and the 13th is Hawaii Hawaii so that's gonna be pretty cool we're gonna have I believe her name is Noelle If if I'm not mistaken, we have Noelle on the show who's a coordinator over there and she's going to tell us everything about getting out to Hawaii. That's going to be crazy. That's like a, what? 18 hour flight. Uh, It's a lot. I won't be able to make that. I can't make it dude. I can't make it if it's past three hours from my house, but I am jealous because I've never been to Hawaii uh, as much of the world I've seen. I've never seen actually, I've never seen beyond, I want to say like Pakistan and I wasn't even really there officially. Um, But yeah, I haven't gone what is that west hold on <laughs> what was i a navigator oh east yeah i haven't gone uh, further east than What's? where's is kazakhstan is that further east than pakistan it's, it's that way i might have been there it's that way egypt is south yeah i don't know um but no i've never been in that area you guys i mean whoever's going to that hike is going to be freaking awesome especially especially this time of the year so um looking forward to that and then yeah we'll start announcing hikes as they come up all right jeremy time for news the aor <laughs> Professional. Boom. I should have done. I should have had like a turn when that happened.
1: Blew your mind. I just hit my nose on that too. See what you could have done (laughs) is you could have gone to camera two.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Hold on, let's do that. Yo,
1: that's pretty professional.
0: That's pretty professional uh let's see do you like movies jeremy i think the last movie i saw was with you and john we had a triple date the three of us um yeah. you kept asking me to reach into your popcorn bucket and i was a little freaked out about that and then at the end you there know, was a hole in the you know you
1: asked you asked for extra butter on the popcorn and i tried to give you extra butter and you would not assist
0: it was a little awkward uh that was 1917 not the year although it feels like it was that long ago but we saw that was the last movie i saw in a theater because of this fucking covid thing fucking but COVID. um If you miss being able to see a movie and want to watch something together with a bunch of veterans, uh, military.com is screaming screaming a free movie tomorrow night. Um, Can you bring that up? I don't know if you have it up on there. Um, So basically, it's called Born a Champion. Actor Sean Patrick Flannery plays a Marine who is a legendary Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter in the new movie born a champion. We're all invited to a free screening set for Friday, January 22nd at 7 PM. Now I have the link. What I'll do is I'll put it in the show notes below or just go on military.com and put born a champion. You'll see it. Um, it's 7 PM tomorrow. Here's the cool thing. It's free. So I think there's like, a uh, when you click on the link, there's a, uh, what do you call that? Like a promo code, but yeah. when I signed up for it, there was nothing. Um, so it's free and there's only a few, I don't know, a couple hundred slots to watch this. So if you like MMA, which I like MMA, if you like Marines, which I like Marines, uh, this might be the movie for you. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, let's go. We're not going to talk about Chuck Yeager again this week. <laughs> I wanted to, oh, is this the, is this the trailer?
1: It's the trailer. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's see this. I want to see what this looks like.
1: How you doing, son? Marina. I was a planning officer myself. I only lost one marine. His best friend waited there, guarding his body until it could be extracted. You ever hear that story before, son? I always wanted to meet the man. When I got out of the military, all I learned is fighting.
0: But I want you to be different. Dude's like my age. I could still be an MMA fighter.
1: Old? Yeah, probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I cornered for a guy. A uh, little known fact about Kevin Sullivan. I was a North Carolina cut man. I was an officially licensed cut man. I cornered for a guy who was uh, 41 or 42. And I'm like, you're insane. All right, you can take that down. It seems yep. to be lagging or whatever that's called. Uh, yeah, it was a cut man form. Those are my my old days of being in the fight game. I don't look tough, but I think I am kind of a little bit. It's probably the douchiest thing I've ever said. I'd probably um, be a little
1: worried, not going to lie.
0: How about, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, I appreciate that. How about a little Navy love before we bring our guest on? A little bit, not a lot. So just there, a there's some, And this is more of like an aviator's thing, right? So there is some rivalry between the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Air Force pilots, right? Aviation-wise. There's a lot of, um, you know, who's the best, obviously it's the air force. It's what we do, but I have to give credit where credit's due. And that's landing on an aircraft carrier. That is some crazy shit. I can't, there's two things I can't wrap around my head with, uh, aviation. One of them is a helicopter. I hate helicopters. I hated flying in helicopters. They shouldn't fly. They're the perfect example that we live in a simulation because logically helicopters should not fly, but they do. So that's number one. Number two is landing on an aircraft carrier. It doesn't happen. It can't happen, but it does. So that means we're in a simulation. If you want to know what the simulation theory is, go back a few episodes. I talk about it a little bit um so to give you an idea right in the c-130 we used to do what was called assault landings and that's a short runway um so the c-130 is 132 feet wide and the runway is 50 feet wide so can you pull up the the pope air force base um i think it's number six all right so check this out what you'll see in this picture is um if you can blow up that that one on the right there that uh that image that's where i used to fly that's my old uh Oh come on!
1: Oh, we're gonna do this. Just go
0: back and do the pinch and and there you go. Oh, right there, that's perfect. Maybe maybe blow it up. Can you do the pinch and open like you do? You know the thing you do with your fingers on the yep, mouse pad. Yeah, I got you. Let's see. Okay, so it's kind of hard to see, but right there is the main runway, right? That's like six thousand feet. That's a typical runway. Now, right in the middle and to the right, you see that real skinny line. That is an assault landing. So like what we used to do is for a while in Baghdad, we were landing on the taxiway, right? So they can take these little small areas and C-130s are badass enough that we can land um, on usually, I mean, they're 3,000 foot long, at least this one was, but we can land in, it's been a while, but I want to say about 1,500 feet, we can actually get the aircraft safely landed and stopped, which is pretty insane for an aircraft. Now pull up a, uh, what do you call it? An aircraft carrier. That is 300 feet. (laughs) So think about this. That is one tenth of the little runway that I just showed you now. And it looks to me like it's probably as wide. Like that makes no sense. 300 feet in an aircraft. If you guys, if anyone on here has ever been an aviator, you're moving so fast that 300 feet is, it's like you blink your eye and you know, you hear blink of an eye, but it truly is like you literally, you blink your eye and 300 feet is gone. So yeah, that's just totally insane for me so with that said uh pull up uh video number eight this is freaking insane Th- when i watched this i actually started sweating a little bit all right so he's he's coming in on the left there first off navy what's with your freaking black and white this only happened not long ago cable snaps and watch whoop there he goes now ready ready Ah, He comes back out. He saved it. He recovered that aircraft.
1: Freaking Maverick over here.
0: That is, that'll give me nightmares tonight. Anytime I see aviation stuff, uh, I get freaked out. But yeah, dude, that's insane. Um, So when I was going down the rabbit hole for that, I was looking up, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys do this, but like I get bored and then I start going down a, a YouTube rabbit hole. Uh, I found a C-130, my plane, landing on an aircraft carrier. This is back in, I want to say, the early 60s, might have been e- even been the late 50s. Uh, that's video number nine. Look at this. Actually, it looks just like the last video, <laughs> 50 years apart. To carry out the landing, flatly put the propellers in reverse pitch while he was still 10 or 15 feet in the air to land. That's pretty awesome. They did a good job. I mean, they landed that. It didn't look like it was hairy at all. Feet. The first landing. The Hercules weighed 85,000 pounds, 85,000 pounds. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much empty. So we could, we, I think our max gross takeoff was like 160,000 pounds in the desert. You couldn't take off with more than, I don't know, maybe a 130,000, because it was so hot, you would take off and the plane wouldn't want to climb. So there was plenty of times where I was, I'm looking over the, because I didn't strap in, which is why I hurt my brain. But, um, I was standing behind the co-pilot and I'm watching the radar altimeter, which tells you how far you are off the ground. Right. And it's so hot out. We're so overloaded. We're filled with fuel. Actually, I think we were heading up to, um, uh, Oman, Jordan. And as we come off the runway, it just, it's like, normally you'll see like 50, 60, 70. It just climbs up pretty quickly. It was like 80 feet, 79 feet, 75 feet. 82 feet i mean and this was like we're three miles down down out past the the runway and this plane is just uh, trying to climb but yeah pretty cool stuff and then the last thing i want to show what time is it 8:20. we got time yeah, plenty uh, of time i want to do jeremy says i showed you this video yet i don't remember but i'm going to get out my stopwatch here and this is a pilot doing exactly what we just showed landing on a stop stopwatch landing on an aircraft carrier but watch how long he goes without blinking his eyes he's so he's so Focused in on what he's doing, so it should bring you right to the point where he's okay. Ready? So I'll, I'll hack a watch. You press play.
1: Great. Two. One. Go.
0: Okay. So watch him. He doesn't blink. Oh, he blinked. Did he blink? Yeah, he blinked. All right. I'll, I'll minus three seconds from the end. This is the same plane that we just saw, by the way. Not not the same one. Uh, same type. Wasn't the same one that snapped the cable. His his.
1: His other pilot, the other pilot is blinking, 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 blinking. He's just going. Yeah. He's,
0: he's the co-pilot. He's like still new at this. And he's like, shit, what did I sign myself up for? I want to fly. I want to fly for American airlines. All right. He's at 35 seconds without blinking. <laughs> oh,
1: look at that face.
0: <laughs> yep. Oh, God. Great. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. So that was a good, uh, 40 we'll we'll give him 43 seconds which actually doesn't sound too impressive it was more impressive when i watched it but now that i actually did the numbers not too impressed so fuck you navy let's move (laughs) on uh a few months ago we showed you a video of a vietnam era guy who was firing an m60 for the first time from the hip, which was pretty cool. Um, I wish I brought the the video to this one because it'd be kind of fun to watch that again. Um, but I found another one, and this is a World War II veteran firing a howitzer for the first time since 1944. This is a pretty cool vid. Artillery boom, Gregory. Gregory, this one's for you, buddy. If you guys are wondering who I'm talking about, that's the uh, Vilf. Come
1: down. Okay. Vilf guy. Oh, he's old just looking at him and having those conversations with him. It's, it's just like having the conversations with one of my soldiers, you know, it, it's like he never left.
0: Oh, they're from mass. Look at this guy. Awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How many
0: Nazis that guy killed? Like real Nazis?
1: Oh, way more than I'd like to count and enjoy even just some of the things he was saying good for him an old red leg at heart so it was awesome to to give him that opportunity
2: I couldn't believe that I think it said
0: he was 97
2: everything makes me appreciate it even more you know that that people like him are still around and and can give back to the younger ones and
0: this is totally a Massachusetts guard unit isn't it
2: probably
1: he had like,
0: I'm looking at the waistlines to see if these guys are guard, maybe reserves <laughs> <laughs>
1: looking for them tennis shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I
0: love that How long's this video? I want to see him shoot. It's pretty much the same weapon, right? I mean, yeah, it's 75 years ago, but I mean, and, and I'm sure some of the, um, I'm going to make up words. Cause I don't know if freaking artillery works, the, uh, aimer things. <laughs> I'm sure some of that stuff is, has been Here he updated, goes. do it, do it nice with his little Jitney, they call that a Jitney, don't they? Yep. Awesome, dude. What a cool guy. I want to do awesome. that. I want to, ta- do you know what? I want to be an old man and have someone take me on a C C-130 assault landing. I think that would be you cool. Know I haven- what? Why not? I haven't flown. So most, uh, this is gonna sound like I'm bitching. I'm not bitching. Um, but most flyers, you get what's called a finny flight and you know, whether, whether you're retiring or whatever it is, and they spray you down with like a fire hose or whatever they have, it's, it's usually a good time. My brother-in-law got one. He retired as a 05, uh, navigator. I got my injury, never flew again. That was February of 2006. I think I can't remember. Um, I came off the aircraft, went to the hospital and never set foot on an aircraft ever again. Not knowing that that would be the last time I got off the aircraft, um, so I think I should. Hey, uh, my my folks out there, I got a lot of friends now that are like O fives and O sixes. Get me on the, uh, get me on a C one thirty. Get me a Finney flight. That would be freaking awesome. Uh, I'm serious. I am Do it at this point. Make his day. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Uh, that was all the news from on the AOR. I don't really have anything else as far as what to share with that. So why don't we bring on our guest. Sergeant I don't know uh excuse me if I don't know your rank. I would just say I just call every NCO Sergeant Ambrose. No, no yeah, <laughs> I don't call him, I don't call him all Sergeant Ambrose. That would be a little weird but uh <laughs> where do you uh staff sergeant uh, t- I don't know. I don't know army how it works. Sergeant first class. Sergeant first class. Um
1: yeah, it's is an that
0: more E7? Oh shit. Good job, man. Thanks. <laughs> uh, how many years you got left? I was looking at your your bio Uh-oh. and I was like you got at least eight, ten.
2: Yeah, I hit 13 next month.
0: Okay. All right. So you're you're Look, right. I'm going to make a prediction. E9 by the end of 2024. <laughs> uh I was a former officer. I can make that happen. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> so, uh Sean, there's podcasting, there's documentaries. We have uh social media, celebrity veterans. Uh they're great tools for uh veteran advocates to to you know, get their message out. You told your story, the classic way by writing a book called ghosts of the valley what was the driving force behind your decision to write about your experiences
2: um I yeah I didn't set out to write a book I was just kind of going through a hard time when I when I got here to Fort Leonard last year so um I just decided to kind of put my pen on paper for myself and somebody had picked it up and read it and said that you know it should be a book and uh yeah I I just happened everything just kind of aligned right I had a publisher that that read it picked it up and you know he wanted it so
0: cool and this if I remember right he's like a a military sort of publishing or something like that or
2: yeah he publishes a lot of the books on the base um a lot of the mentor books leadership books and stuff like that and I think this was his first or second um memoir that he you know that he picked up
0: sure Um, so there was a bit of, uh, what we would say, I'm going to use big words for Jeremy here, but like healing and personal catharsis to getting your, your thoughts out on paper.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. It it helped me out a lot more than I thought it would. So, uh, you know, I really am glad that I did it.
0: Sure. And when you're writing your stuff down, how do you approach it? Meaning like, um, do you just try to go, uh, what do they call that when you go into order?
2: Um. Chronological.
0: chronologically yeah or do you just do you just sit down for 20 minutes and be like all right let's see what comes out and then have to put it all together at the end
2: yeah I think I started chronologically um but it, it, it the books not formatted I mean I guess it is it's not the first chapter but um, sure. but yeah I, I did it chronologically and I, and I just kind of talked, and then I even put little side notes or um, internal dialogue of what I was thinking in that moment that firefight and stuff like that sure um, just to kind of remember you know what I was feeling during those moments
0: uh, writing your stuff down does help a lot. I don't know if you've ever been through any of the um, uh, cognitive processing therapy or anything like that, but the majority of it is writing down, getting your thoughts. Because what happens is, when you revisit things in your head, uh, there's there's usually, especially if you're in like a, a stressful memory, right? It's it it's never really the way it happened, right? So you think about it, and then you think about, okay, I could have done this, I could have done that, I could, and then you start getting into this weird spiral. But by writing things down and then looking at the way things panned out from your memory and saying, hey, do you know what, I don't think it's, or basically challenging these thought spirals that you got into uh, allow you to, to move on. Man, I, I really, I highly recommend anyone who's struggling or anything like that, get into journaling, get into, um, or, or go through a CPT program, cognitive processing therapy. It's, it's, I went into it thinking there's nothing, like I'm in medicine. So I'm like, oh, I know the playbook. This isn't going to help me at all. And, uh, it works. It really, really works. I assume that there's a DOD process to, to getting a book out. Is there, and, and did they have to read it and be like, oh eh, you can't really talk about this. You can't really talk about that.
2: Yeah. I had to submit mine to the Pentagon and then they sent it over to, um, CENTCOM and then, <laughs> uh, CENTCOM who's in charge of Iraq and Afghanistan, um, had to read it for the authenticity of the battles and the awards that were given out. Okay, and um, it, it wasn't that bad of a process, as, you know. I thought it would be. I think it was like in total from the moment I sent it and got it back, like two months, oh, that's uh, not bad. and I didn't have to change anything. I think the only thing that got changed is they wanted like one picture taken out. Um, it, it was just like a, a casualty um, of a mm-hmm. local national. So yeah, yeah, um,
0: I wonder if there's any difference between an active duty versus like I, I listened to Matt Best talk about uh, the book that he put out, and it's like there's so much that was redacted in it. And, and I guess, you know, because he, he did some contracting with the CIA and stuff, there's, there's a lot of stuff they don't want to get out there, but yeah, I imagine that that is a process. Do you think it was at all easier because you were active duty or, and then here's the next question. Suppose someone doesn't want to go that route. Are they in, in, uh, danger of being sued or being jailed, I guess, for putting out information that's, that's not approved.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, if you're still active duty yeah i mean you got to remember you don't you don't have a voice you don't have the right uh or the freedom of speech um like you know when you're out and right. so be, me being active duty i just can't say whatever i want um still but because i was telling a story that was true and is covered with documentation uh, of certain events that happened it, it wasn't difficult um but yeah I, I guess it just depends on what you're trying to talk about what kind of story you're trying to tell
0: sure I'm going to read a quote from your book. A small part of me wants the place, hold on, let me put it over here so I can do it better. A uh, small part of me wants to place the details on paper to help with my healing process. We just talked about that. A bigger part of me wants to tell the story of gods, my friends, those I served and fought with. To me, were gods, and you couldn't tell me otherwise. Every morning, they laced up their boots, met with death, and punched them in the face. In doing so, my duty to tell the story, in doing so... My duty is to tell the stories of their heroics, to enlighten the younger generation and prepare them for the experiences for their ultimately inevitable face off with death. Um, So a a common theme, or at least that I used to bring up a lot in the, the podcast is what duty do veterans have for one another now th- this kind of goes back to that quote because of the motives for you writing the book but does our service to each other end when we take off the uniform
2: no i think especially for combat veterans someone who's experienced the other side um, with a group of individuals um you know i still talk to like you know major zagor here's in the chat you know he was one of the doctors i worked in the aid station with and you know he took me under his wing um, being that I'm an MP, but when I got to Afghanistan, they they told me I was a medic um, and it was not my scope of practice. I've never done it before. And it was guys like him that enabled me to be successful um, and, and hopefully help people. So um, and, and here we are, you know, 10 plus years later and I, I still talk to them. So, yeah, I, it doesn't it doesn't end when the uniform comes off. That's just not uh, that's not how we're built. So.
0: Sure. I agree. Uh, I've got a bunch of answers to that question. Um, from all sides, some people are like, no, it's not really, you know, you you can move on or whatever. But I I seriously think that we owe it to each other to take that time, which is why we say all the time on this show, call, text, um, do whatever to get in touch with someone you served with, even if they get annoyed by it. That's, that's kind of your duty. These are your, your buddies. And just because the bullets aren't flying anymore, uh, doesn't mean that you owe something to them, but that's, that's just my personal take on it. Um, I've actually heard a bunch of different takes on that. Uh, how did you approach writing a nonfiction account of folks you served with? And and what I mean by that is, uh, like if I told a story about a certain mission that we flew in Afghanistan and then the loadmaster uh, told the same story and then the co-pilot told the story and then the aircraft commander told it, it would, it would come out completely different. And people would be like, no, that's not what happened. That's what happened. How, how do you go without misrepresenting an event or insulting someone or offending someone?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I hopefully I didn't I I didn't do that, and if I did, um, I don't know about it. But you know, sure. there was a guy that came to my house last night, actually, that I served with, um, and I hadn't seen him since the battle. He just happened to be at Fort Leonard Wood, so it's been you know ten, eleven years since wow. the last time I seen him. And we were talking about this a certain event, and I was like, no way. You know, we were just exchanging the story, like from his perspective and mine. Yeah, and there were things that I missed, I didn't know, and he kind of enlightened me and told me and filled those gaps. And uh, I had a little bit better understanding of why things happened in that battle. Um, and, and that's fine. Like, yeah, the story's gonna sound 20 different ways from 20 different dudes, but um, I, I did—I tried to do as a good of a job as I could by recording everything. So I have a lot of pictures and video. Specifically, okay. specifically from the battles, I, I recorded a lot um, just because I wanted to document it uh, as well as I could. Um, so I, I reverted back to those um, to help me in my writing process. And then I talked to a lot of individuals prior to writing that were there. Um, but even then, even if I didn't do any of that, at the end of the day, the story is told from my perspective. It's not, I'm not a historian. I'm not saying this is how it started, how it ended from every perspective. I've done all the research. It's, it's literally just a story of things that I witnessed and I witnessed others do during these battles.
0: Okay. Yeah. I always, cause you know, part of me thinks at some point, maybe I'll write a book or something like that, but I'm always. That's one of the most terrifying things is misrepresenting someone or telling a story uh, the way I remember it. There there was this whole study about memory. Memory is really terrible. Like if, if a bunch of people witness a, a robbery, what your brain does, it can only take in so much information, but it knows its surroundings. So it says, okay, a, a shot was fired over here. Um, a car screeched and pulled out. What happened in between that well the guy must have ran to his car he must have been running it must have been a he it must have and then you you're and it becomes your reality it becomes the actual story and you can swear to it you can be like absolutely 100 this is how it happened because that is how it happened at least to you so yeah that always scares me um Another question I have, and I, I, like I said, I didn't finish your book because I just picked it up yesterday. I didn't, for the listeners, I didn't know Sean had a book. I guess I did, but I'm freaking busy. So then I looked and I'm like, oh shit, he's got a book. So I tried to read most of it in the last um, 18 hours. Uh, how do you avoid writing about shit bags? And what I'm telling you, what, what I mean by that is, you know, I served with some uh, majority, majority of people, if anyone's watching that I served with, right? Most of the people we served with were awesome. There were a couple shit bags, uh, and I feel like that's an important part of the story, but like I said about misrepresent, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to approach that. What, what did you do in that situation? Did you have to bring up anyone that was a shit bag?
2: <laughs> no, I think there was like one story, but it was like a side story in between the deployments that had nothing to do with the combat. Um, surprisingly, and I don't know if it was just luck or chance or what, but both my deployments. The individuals I served with, I didn't have any issues with any of them. Um, everyone was was pretty spot on. And, and that's kind of significant of the two battles I fought in, uh, specifically how successful we were is is how well we clicked and and how everyone was really, really good at their job. So, yeah, I don't know if it's, I, I just got like, we're the 1% uh, or, or what, but I, I, yeah, I didn't have any of those issues.
0: Well, that's good. Um, yeah, I can still... <laughs> i would have a rough time i think because because most of the fun stories are about the dirt bags that's what i'll say i'll say dirt bags. sounds a little bit better um but yeah i mean they have all they also have uh maybe i was a dirt bag and these guys were, were good i don't know um but the idea is i'd be afraid to um to to tell the truth which brings me to my next question right so if you think about a book that you really enjoy or a movie or a documentary or a speaker or a podcast or whatever it is Truth is key to telling the story and not that someone would be untrue. I don't mean that at all. Um, what I mean is uh, I'll use Rudy Reyes as a good example. Everyone knows Rudy, all the Marines love fruity, Rudy. Um, he he's the archetypal hero, right? He's a badass. He was recon. He's uh, they call him the murder hippie. Uh, he has a book out called hero living. And in that book, he, there's a term I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up, but it's like, open up your veins and bleed on the paper right and in his book he literally opened the veins and bled on the paper i mean he talked about um, his esteem as a child getting um, sexually abused and uh, physically abused and uh, just just really brutal honest truth but it made his story authentic. And I don't think of him any less of a person. I mean, you shouldn't. How, how does truth come into writing a story? And, and, and how does it affect the way that the story comes out?
2: Yeah, I mean, like a lot of the dudes these days, that, you know, that are successful, rightfully, so you know, there are a lot of special operations guys, um, obviously, they're gonna get a lot of the attention. But um, you know, they, right, again, rightfully, so a lot of the special operations guys did some crazy stuff, you know, the past 20 years, you know, well, not just 20 years, but, you know, our war, our generational war, but, you know, how many conventional warfare guys, you know, get to tell their story? Um, and, and so I figured if I could put myself in a vulnerable state that, um, enables people to say, you know, somebody like me, like I'm considered a Pogue, right. I'm, I'm not a grunt, I'm not infantry, I'm not special forces. Um, I'm not anything special. I'm an average brown dude from L.A. So if I could have a significant story or event and live through it, um, then hopefully being vulnerable will allow others to come forward. Because let's be real, special operations weren't the only ones kicking in doors. You know, even just the basic infantry, like a lot of those guys saw a lot of shit. So um, their stories need to be told. And those that pass, like for instance, my story, Lieutenant Parton, Um, I, every podcast, every talk, every time I talk about the book, whatever it is, his name has to come up at least once. Like, um, that's just the way it is. I refuse to not talk about him. Um, you know, if you don't talk about someone, they die twice. So I will forever keep his name going. And, you know, if I don't talk about him, um, that doesn't inspire other people to talk about people that they had lost. So how many other Lieutenant Partons are there out there that you just don't know their name because veterans are too scared to talk about their you know, their experiences. So um, if I open up myself and show that it's fine, then hopefully it'll have a domino effect.
0: Sure, that's gotta be, I think the hardest thing as a veteran uh, and as a guy, I guess, um, is that is the V word. I don't even like to say the word vulnerable, right? Uh, Going to therapy is about as as close to that as I could get. I'm still working on that, but that's a very, very uncomfortable place to be. Um, And that's a good point, right? That's kind of what I was getting at, I guess is, is, you know, how much truth do you tell about yourself? How much are you willing to be vulnerable? And I think if you're not willing, there's two things that's going to happen. One, you're not going to grow as a person and two, uh, readers are going to be completely, you can kind of smell the bullshit, right? You, you know, if you're, if you're not showing who you are in your true colors, then you just become a, a I don't know, like a, a flavorless story. Um, I didn't, I went six or seven years six years because i had another podcast before this without ever telling my story and jeremy jeremy did you give me the interview i can't remember yeah i did uh, that was the first time i had ever talked about i think i talked about it once on call sign silkies with uh dan mallard we can't have an episode without bringing up old danny boy um that was close but then with jeremy i just was like all right bucket, here's the, Here it. here's there it gates but yeah there's a level of catharsis on that and i think a lot of veterans especially the fact that we deal so much with veteran mental health uh is that ability to to be vulnerable um some people some people embrace that shit, man they they're bawling their eyes out they're doing it others it's just i don't know it's hard it's a hard thing to do um let's move on here i just as i was doing that i was messing with my screen and i lost my okay here we go uh oh you you had mentioned that you took a lot of pictures and took a lot of video and recordings and stuff like that it dawned on me today when I was writing these questions that, and this is kind of off topic, but it's still pretty interesting. The global war on terror has to absolutely 100% be the most documented military, uh, engage, or whatever you want to call it, um, engagement. No, no, no. Uh, whatever in the history of mankind. Cause how many people did you serve with that were carrying cameras during firefights or, um really that would be it or and nowadays i mean gosh in in since 20 i guess really 20 what 12 13 14 with social media i mean people are putting stuff up all the time so they, it's it's really got to be how much how much um documentation do you think you collected during your your uh deployments
2: uh quite a bit probably about a half of a terabyte for it. wow yeah see Ooh. that's incredible
0: and i think what's going to be good about that is um our grandkids and our kids are going to get a good, like first person experience as to what life was like. Did you, did you do the, mun, uh, the mundane stuff like the chow hall or sitting, I don't know, throwing rocks at your buddies or whatever it is. Did you get like, try to get everything recorded?
2: Uh, not that much. I mean, on a lot of on mission stuff. I mean, a few things, probably in the barracks, joking around some funny stuff, but a lot of it was combat related or out, out in sector.
0: Yeah. Don't lose that. That stuff's important. And in fact, and I'm trying to get him on the show, but he's busy. Funker, Jeremy, what's it called? Funker 365. Funker. Um,
1: yeah, I think so. I think it's Funker 365. Oh, it's Funker
0: 30, or something. Yeah. Funker 88. No, that's Iraq vet 88. Um, Whatever 530. it is. Yeah, that's it. I think.
1: Funker530.com.
0: Yep. Yeah. He, um, fantastic site, but he collects uh, all the videos that people take. Do you know what happened to me? I had, um, gosh remember this is a long time this is back early in the war children sit around an old man tell you but it was like in in 2006 i had a it must have been like a 250 megabyte yeah probably maybe even a 500 megabyte um hard drive and i had i don't i couldn't tell you i always had a, a video camera with me and i would duct tape it to like certain areas in the aircraft and try to get like combat landings and maybe try to get a threat and all that stuff And i put it all on this this um uh, hard drive it was the type that wasn't solid state and it fried so uh if you're listening and you can fix a old school hard drive it's i think it's a hard drive it's like whatever external hard drive uh let me know because i i've got like hundreds and hundreds of photographs that i feel like are lost forever that's neither here nor there but um, i wanted to bring that up because a lot of people listen and i would like to know if you can fix that for me Let's go. Let's move along. I want to talk about. Uh, let me pull it up here. Your reasons for joining the military. So uh, I, I like this this paragraph or two paragraphs because I've heard this so many times. Uh, in fact, I see myself in the way you wrote this. But uh, let me turn it aside so I can actually read it. As I was left home alone, I watched my peers, along with Tony, your brother, continue their education and careers outside of L.A. Well, I kept waking up and doing the same thing, completely lost and not knowing which route would be the best for me. Hey, Alex, can I get a first adulthood depression for two hundred? <laughs> uh, I would webcam Tony every couple of days to keep in contact with him, but we both saw a difference in my demeanor. I was letting my peach fuzz next page uh, facial hair grow up, grow out, as well as letting myself go physically. How could? he could tell I wasn't happy and I was depressed at being home alone while everyone else was going out and making a difference with their lives. Tony had even walked onto the football team and got to fulfill his dream of playing as a Michigan Wolverine. He also won a Rose bowl ring with them. Okay. I have to do something. Um, really, really common, really, really common. Um, tell me about your, your, you know, going through that and and discovering the military and how the military could give you something other than, uh, ordinary life?
2: Uh, I mean, I think it was like everybody else. I always had an interest in the military. I always kind of wanted to serve. I had aspirations in some way. I just, I just didn't know what that was, you know, growing up watching war movies and my grandpa had served, but that was about the extent of of military service, my family. Um, see, I think I always knew I was going to do it. I just didn't know what branch or, or any of that.
0: Okay. Uh, it was definitely in your blood because i remember you saying in the book about your grandfather he was in what the early 50s probably the korea era. yeah he's korea and your grandma too though she was a black belt in karate there's some warrior spirit there
2: yeah yeah for sure
0: in what ways did that influence you i mean was it like uh so donnie o'malley was on and he was talking about how when he was a kid he watched war movies and he knew he was a psychopath right off the bat because he's like yes that's what I want to do, <laughs> I want to go shoot bad guys, um, but I don't know what, what what was it the stories was it the honor what was it that that pulled you in that direction it's a big it's a big decision to make
2: yeah I think it was probably more or less the experience uh, He's talked about Korea a lot seeing the world meeting different people and I was just kind of stuck in that Los Angeles bubble and seeing the same people the Southern California vibes, you know, I, I didn't know what snow looked like, um, you know, uh, or desert or any of that stuff, you know, I, people with accents, uh, you know, from the South, never seen them before. So <laughs> I was just so like sheltered, you know, up to that point. And I wanted to just like, have experience. And that was one thing that he, he kind of preached a lot.
0: Sure. And you knew too, at the time, what, what was this? Oh, seven, oh eight.
2: Uh, yeah, I joined early. 08.
0: Okay. So you knew that, like when I joined, it was a few weeks, months before September 11th, and I was totally prepared to go to Europe, go to Hawaii, go wherever, and just kind of uh, travel on Uncle Sam's dime. You knew enlisting in the army that you would most likely end up in Afghanistan. Did you, Did were you aware of that? Or were you like, eh, who knows?
2: No, I, I thought for sure I was going to go to Iraq. That's where I wanted to go. Um, okay. I had no idea. I didn't really know much about Afghanistan at all.
0: Okay. Uh, in what ways, and maybe it didn't, uh, I can tell you that I'm half Irish and I love a good fight, (laughs) uh, love it, and I feel it's in my DNA. In what ways did your Native American culture influence your decision?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I did a lot of research just because, like, it wasn't, it's hard because you're not, I mean, I'm not from the reservation. So a lot of Mm -hmm. it was like self research, talking to my, my grandmother and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just in the blood, man. Like, it's just the way we're built. Um, you know we 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 want to fight we want it's just kind of that warrior spirit but at the same time we want to protect our own um you know very native americans are just very um homey people very peaceful people they just don't like to get pushed and you know that's i kind of get that from my grandma you know being a black belt she was always sticking up for herself and stuff so um yeah man it's just it's just in the blood i don't know i don't know what it is
0: sure uh was there a lot of or i say was but you're still in is there a lot of other native americans that you served with
2: no um, yeah i mean here and there is a few but nothing crazy
0: it always it always fascinates me the different cultures that uh that you know have influence on service like the filipinos everybody knows a filipino that they served with i mean i served in my squadron with like 10 maybe even more i might be totally underestimating that you you know this is a 200 man or in squadron, woman squadron. Uh, let's say 20, 10% easily were Filipinos. And I, I got to have someone on of that culture because I need to know what it is about them that makes them want to serve so much. I don't know, J- Jeremy, you have I assume you've served with Filipinos.
1: So I've served with quite a few and yeah. they're probably some of the most passionate and definitely hard-charging people. There's a couple of Filipinos that I served with, even though we're no longer friends. Um, they were very dedicated, very hardcore people, very big into their culture so if you any kind of offense and you knew it for one and two any kind of offense you really knew it so yeah. it was there you know if if you did they always brought food to wherever we were at it was always hey man we brought this from home and damn the food because holy shit fuck the chow <laughs> hall fuck anything else they came up with philip just he, they would feed us it was great at least the guys i served with.
0: nice yeah, the south pacific that's that's always fascinated me uh the culture like the maoris there's a, a video out there of um gosh the fiji's uh where, where are they from again new zealand um these guys doing the haka they were um uh new zealand infantry unit and they were burying one of their own and I, have you ever seen this jeremy
1: yeah it's like it's a it's a farewell haka. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You
0: know. pull well when i when i finish the interview here pull that up i want to show that at the end there because man that thing is fr- when i watch it Try not to get choked up when you watch that. It's just so phenomenal. But all right, we're getting in the weeds here. Um, here's a side question, and then we'll get off the the Native American thing there. But you hear everything on the news and people are sensitive and stuff like that. Uh, how do you feel about the names of uh, weapon systems when we use things like Apache or the Tomahawk missile? Or, you know, how, how do you personally feel about that?
2: Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't, not one of those people that get offended um, but I talked about that in the book that there's actually a, a reason behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be, well, there still isn't an agreement between the army and, well, the federal government, the United States army and, uh, all the native American tribes, um, any, and it's, I don't know why, but there it's, you know, specifically for aviation aircraft, um, uh, the black Hawk, Lakota, Kiowa, sure. Chinook, all that stuff. Um. They, they have to be approved by the reservations, by those uh, specific tribes, um, and obviously by the army. And when they come to an agreement, that tribe has to come and do a blessing ceremony on the aircraft before it can actually go into service. Um, and every time there's a new aircraft introduced, the same process has to be made. They have to contact the local Native Americans or whatever Native Americans they want to contact because there's obviously different kinds, um, and they have to go through that process. So that's still built. You know
0: to this day yeah I, I i think it would be an honor um uh i i just always thought that and i think it would be a shame i mean because what are you going to do if you stop doing that you'll just you know we won't talk about it i mean you had mentioned you know talking about stuff is what keeps people alive and talking about that is what keeps it in the culture <clears throat> another side weird note there uh you, and i i thought about this when you said that so what, what are your thoughts on memorial bracelets because you know there's a lot of back and forth some veterans hate them some veterans love them I look at it as just yesterday I was at the dentist and the, um, dental assistant was sitting next to me and she started asking me about my bracelet. So I mentioned the four names that are on there and in a conversation in a corner of North Carolina, uh, at a dentist office, we're, we're talking about these people that gave their lives. And I think that is, I, I can't find a reason not to wear one, but what are what are your thoughts on them?
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously that's, that's key to it is keeping them alive and talking about I wear two of them. Um, I've, I mean, they're scarred in my wrist. I, I don't take them off ever for you know now 10, 11 years, mm-hmm. um, and I replace them. But there's not a day I don't, I don't, you know, not wear them. Um, I, as far as veterans saying they don't like them, I mean, I just think that's fucking stupid. I don't, I've never heard of a veteran say they don't like it, but I don't see the reason as to why they would say that. Um, you know, me personally, I replace them every couple months just because. You know i bang my wrist against stuff and they get all scratched up and um i know some guys that like i've had some people ask me you because some people wear them and they're like really worn down and they've lost the black color and they're all scratched up um i try to keep mine looking new all the time uh and i do that because when my uncle died my grandma used to go take me to go take flowers to his grave and every you know we went every like once a week and every time we went she would cut the weeds herself she'd pluck all the weeds around it she would uh take baby wipes and wipe down the grave thing and I didn't understand it because I was like they have dudes here that work here and that's their job is like make this place look nice like what is she doing and it was just taking care of the grave it's just like you know just the upkeeping upkeeping so this is like the same thing it's it's just the same thing as it was or would be in the ground it's at my memorial it's the same thing so I wanted to always make it look nice and pretty so when they start to get scratched up I do the best I can to do them due diligence and i just replace the whole bracelet but i wear them every time so um i i think they're special and i don't i don't wear it to have a conversation with people like they're for me you don't know say i look down at them that's i can think about them and stuff so um uh, as far as it, veterans don't like them i mean they could fuck yeah. off but.
0: yeah i agree um yeah i just look at it as, as you know it, it like that, I mean this is a perfect example. Just yesterday, you know, having a conversation about someone that I served with and it's like that that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that there. And it's not like you're just gonna bring it up randomly to people. So yeah, interesting take on that. You held a variety of positions, driver, gunner, platoon medic, team leader, designated squad, marksman, squad leader, MMS NCO, special reaction team NCOIC, and platoon sergeant. What was your favorite job thus far?
2: That's hard. I, I loved all my leadership positions. Um I just love being with soldiers and, 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 you know, deploying was amazing. Um, leading soldiers in combat was the ultimate leadership position. Um, but I think medic was probably one of my favorite ones. Um, just because you get to help people. So.
0: Sure. I'm a PA, so I agree with that. Good answer. (laughs) Uh, I want to talk about your young enlisted experiences versus being an NCO. Um, did you enjoy taking that leadership role?
2: Yeah, no, I loved it. I. I had some great leaders before me that kind of paved, paved the way for me and, and they were kind of building me up for it. So, um, I felt comfortable when the time came, uh, because, you know, I've been asking all those right questions uh, up to that point and my leaders were doing the best they could to groom me. So yeah, I, it was a pretty good easy transition for me.
0: Uh, do you think NCO training prepares you for leadership outside the military? It's a big thing, you know, cause, cause a lot of people struggle with transition. Um, Do you think it does do they do they keep that i guess in mind when they're training you
2: yeah i think for sure it's not even it's not even training it's not even institutional training it's not any type of training the army provides i I just think being a leader in the army whether you think about it or not in that time is definitely transferable when you get out um when i made sergeant i was i had just turned 21. so like maybe 21 in like two months um and it's like at 21 years old like what what the do i know in life to take two soldiers underneath me and who are what a couple years younger than me 18 years old um and i have to lead these two in a combat uh, and, and then take care of their finances and stuff and so, nice the thing is like the, the army don't care i could be a specialist tomorrow or yesterday and i pinned sergeant today and you know what i'm saying and tomorrow i'm their leader i have to be a psychologist a sociologist a kinesiologist a doctor a finance advisor. I need to know all these things because their problems are my problems. I got to take care of it. And, um, I have to like learn things I didn't know before. Right. I have finances, for example, like no one ever taught me anything, but when my soldiers had finance issues, I had to figure it out and, and make sure they got the money, figure out 401ks, figure out retirement plans, things that people just didn't teach me. Um, but I, I got to learn different people from different walks of life and when I leave the military, I'm going to have, I, up, up to this point right now, in my career, I've had 237 soldiers underneath my command, uh, up to this point. And, you know, I keep a little book and I, I keep track of all of them. And, um, I, I could hopefully transfer out of the military and use all the experiences I, I gained in service and, you know, hopefully help me in that sector.
0: Sure. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, there's, it, it's not just, uh, you know, leading a platoon into a, on a mission, you know, it's, you're back at, back at the, um, in garrison, there's life, right? There's people with, uh, you know, family issues huh? and, and you gotta actually step up and help those guys out. A lot of people don't think of that. Um, you served two tours in Afghanistan. Am I correct? Yep. Um, what surprised you most about serving in a combat zone? Now I'm looking at from what you prepared for mentally to actually being there and serving
2: um i don't know I, I had no idea what afghanistan was going to be like so it was hard for me to say uh, or have an expectation of it but i think combat itself i, I just didn't i didn't know what it was going to be like you know you, you, i guess you see what you think it is in the movies and tv shows and stuff and it's just it's completely different in real life
0: sure it's never it's, it's glamorous <laughs> i always thought you know as a kid i'm like oh if the shit it's the fan i'm gonna be awesome And uh, the first time the shit hit the fan for me, I was like a chicken with a head cut off. I still don't know. I mean, (laughs) it just doesn't come naturally uh, being in that situation, being in a weird situation. I have a couple quotes. I realize we're running late here. Uh, Trying to think which one we should go with. Let's do this one. Uh, I hated dealing with IEDs. They were not used. Hold on. I keep turning it the wrong way so I can't see. it. Uh, There we go. They were not used uh, often in Afghanistan as compared to Iraq, but they were still haunting us regardless. Standing at an IED site or watching vehicles pass in front of you, you spiked anxiety. You always wondered how it would feel if it exploded under your face or exploded in your face. How fast would it be if this blew up right now? Would I feel anything? Would I bleed out slowly? Now, that's the question I have is, and we kind of just, I guess touched on that with the, the last question uh what's worse do you feel for mental health the scenarios that you make up in your head like we just read or when the scenario actually plays out
2: oh uh, to me when the scenario plays out i mean we all think it soldiers today who have never experienced combat think it man what would i do in this scenario of if this popped off i would do this and like you, you always think in those scenarios that doesn't really, I, to me that never affected my mental psyche. That never messed with my head in any way. That's they're fake scenarios. Um, but it's also because I saw the real scenarios and it's easy for me to decipher and the real ones, you, you, some of them you just can't train for. So those are the, those are the ones that, you know, you need to be worried about. Uh,
0: this, this is a little messed up, but when, so I was the opposite, right? The shit that would play out in my head, uh, I obviously wasn't trained mentally, I guess, to be able to, to, uh, figure out what to do with that. It was always worst case scenario, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, worst case scenario. And when we would fly, I would prepare for that. And if we got, let's say we got engaged with a surface to air missile or someone tried to light us up with a PKM, I was, <laughs> I was relieved because I was like, oh, there it is. Now, now I don't have this fake shit going on in my head. There's the real deal. Let's do what we're trained to do and try to survive this. It, it. It's a mind. It's a mind fuck. Totally. I read, uh, actually no. let's move on from there. What is it? 902. Okay. We can go on from there. Um, let's see. I want to make sure we get all, Oh, do you know what? Let's end it off with this then. Uh, cause I want to make sure we touch some other things. Uh, tell us about veteran.
2: Yeah. Veteran is, uh, it's a company that my buddy Rocco, uh, you know, started and he's right now he's just, he's doing a lot of giveaways. He's trying to get people engaged with the program. But essentially, his in-state goal is to have multiple um, medical clinics and facilities in, like, all the major cities. Essentially, it's going to be a clinic that does the VA's job better. Um, They're going to have the doctors, the kinesiologists, psychologists. Um, It's going to be a hangout spot for veterans to just come. They want to play PS4 in a room together, hang out with other veterans, a social place, that's fine. Um, But it's also going to have all the medical Screen f- uh, facility type stuff that you need they'll even have the administrative stuff so that you don't have to wait in line at the va you can go to the veteran clinic they could file all of your va paperwork for you uh like if you're gonna enhance your percentage or you're going for your first percentage look or whatever the case may be um and then that way when you go to the va you're kind of already set up for success and you don't have to make appointments in the already backlog system that they have so it, it's a long process um for the in state of what you know, we want to see accomplished, but um, right now we're, we're doing just the small things. We're, you know, selling like t-shirts uh, for raffle tickets to give away other prizes and then using some of that money to help support the start of these medical facilities.
0: Nice. Uh, you also mentioned, I think it was on your website that you donated your uniform to a, like a historical preservation group. I couldn't find it again. I read it and I'm like, that's really cool. I wanted to learn more about that, uh, but then I lost it. What, what, what was that organization?
2: It was the Global War on Terrorism uh, History Project, and they go around and they collect art, uh, artifacts, but you know they collect things yeah. from veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff like that, and, um, and you know uniforms, helmets, things that you know had seen combat have a story attached to them, and then they display these out. And this is obviously before COVID, uh, but they would go around and they would set up shop and, and then show people all across the country.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I want to learn more about that. I think that's pretty cool. And I think it's important. I mean, my undergrad was in history, so uh, it's important to preserve your history and tell your stories, which is kind of why I started the podcast to begin with was to get this stuff out there. And and we kind of touched on it too, with, um, uh, all the documentation of the global war on terror. Uh, okay. I think, I think that's all the time we have. Where can folks find your book, find your apparel speaking engagement? Like where do you want to drive people to learn more about Sean Ambry's?
2: Yeah, so I have a website, Um, The Ghost of the Valley is on uh, Amazon, Nook, and Kindle. And then we're waiting for the Audible to come out here. I mean, it could be any day now. Um, and then that's going to be, like, dual narrated uh, by myself and another narrator. Um, and then they can find me on Facebook, SeanTobiasAmbreeze. And uh, Instagram is Chief underscore
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. And I like that name, pink mist, man. That's uh, chief pink mist. That's pretty awesome. Uh, how was, is, how is reading for the, if, if you haven't noticed, uh, because of my, I think it's because of my TB, I could be a bunch of things, but looking at words and getting them to come out of my mouth is really difficult. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would take me like a hundred takes to read something instead of just come, going off the cuff. Uh, how was that process?
2: The, for the audiobook.
0: Yeah. i have to sit there and read your book out loud and have someone be like, you know, do that again.
2: Um, so I, I so I didn't do the whole book. The the publisher paid a guy, you know, that has one of those radio voices, he read he narrated the entire book. Um, if you have read my book, you'll see that like say for instance in the middle of a battle, there's a bunch of italicized stuff mm-hmm. and it's like my own internal dialogue. Like I'm thinking in my head in that moment. I went and recorded that at a local recording studio here. So when the audible is doing its thing, the guy will be narrating the combat scenario, what's going on, and then when I have like a smart ass comment or I'm having an internal thought, you'll actually hear my voice come in and and say it. So it's kind of dual, it's something different.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool way of doing it. It's cool. Um, Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you for coming on. If it wasn't folks like you who come on to share their stories, we wouldn't have a show. So I... Always appreciate it. Hopefully we can drive some people towards your website, maybe sell some books or whatever. I don't know. You told your story, maybe it saved a life. We don't know. That's why we do this. So thank you very much for coming on and all the luck for your what is it, remaining eight years? Is that right? Seven eight yeah. years. E9, twenty twenty four. Watch. You're gonna you're yeah. gonna be like, holy shit, how'd that happen? I'm a fast burner. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate
1: it,
2: man. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Jeremy, do you did you pull up that Haka thing? I sure did. I'm going to try to. Let's see if I can watch this without getting teary. I don't tear. I'm not vulnerable. That's a V word. I don't use that. Oh, damn. How freaking awesome is that? It's really cool. Yeah. That's great. Go, go to the very beginning again. Isn't there a dude with a ghillie suit walking up kind of like, Oh walking yeah. With, uh, there he is. And they just come out, man. Whew, that's, that's awesome. All right. Yeah, <clears throat> well, that is, that's it. It's all I got for this week. Um, if you're watching this call right now, i want to see if anyone is actually going to do it. Call text, write. What else can we do throw smoke signals up
1: <laughs> email snail mail yes private, D, careful on the dms it's your job
0: your job right now is to get in touch with someone you served with and just be like hey man thinking about you uh whatever that's what you do that's what we do head over to reverentwarriors.com to find out all the information on the upcoming hikes and all that good stuff head over to 21gun.net spell it out 21Gun.net. I got into uh, an issue just recently. I was I don't remember who it was, but I was like trying to put every or, or drive everyone to the right website. Dude, dude. I screwed it Ten up. 10 points. 10 points. 2121, two, whatever. 21gun.net. Actually, you know what? For now on, I'm just gonna send everyone to 21gun.net. And then all the links will be there. I'll even put the IW Facebook page. It'll all be there linked there. Then I like to say one thing: 21gun.net. Instagram, it's at 20. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, that's it. That's all I got, Jeremy. What do you got? You said it all, man. Reach out. You know, don't
1: hesitate. The year starts anew, but it's not over. So, reach out.
0: That's right. That's right. All right. Take care, everyone.